ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We proudly present this podcast to you in all its glory. They are the bearded wonders, the twin sons from different mothers. He is Blake. He is Sal. And together they are the Blake and Sal Show. And if you're not okay with that, I have two words for you. Stay tuned. This ain't a song for the broken hearted. Hello everyone, welcome to the Blake and Sal Show, episode 217. I'm Blake, your host. Sal and Mark are off this week, and I'm actually running solo without a guest host for the first time in a very, very long time. But that doesn't mean you're not going to hear from Sal. More about that a little later. Today, it's going to be a special show for me. I will look back at my experience at the Garfield High School Hall of Fame ceremony as I was inducted as part of the class of 2018 with the 1999 BPSL Championship football team, which I actually do have a letter and a trophy to be a part of that team. It was a great night, an awesome experience, and I can't wait to discuss it. Also, later on in the show, I am going to be sitting down with Hank Gola, the author of the upcoming book, City of Champions, How a Gritty New Jersey Milltown Shocked High School Football by Capturing the 1939 National Championship. It is... Uh, book that is actually written about my hometown, so I can't wait to talk to him about the book. But before we get to the book and the new interview, I want to go back and throw it to a classic interview. Sal sat down with Hangola back in 2015, and they had about a 15-20 minute chat about an article he was writing about the 1939 championship team and the research involved in it. So let's throw it to that first, and then we'll come back. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way So I'm sitting here with Mr. Hank And 
you represent the Daily News. And uh, we just had a couple of questions for you. So what originally sparked interest in the story for you? Well, I was weaned on, on tales of the 1939 team. It was kind of my indoctrination into sports. If you were a member of the baby boom generation who grew up in Garfield, the first thing your dad told you was that Benny Babula kicked the winning field goal for Garfield to win the national championship in 1939 in mm -hmm. the Orange Bowl. That's the first thing you learn. And uh, in the 60s, I went to every Garfield football game home and away. They were still good back then. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember beating Clifton in Thanksgiving Day uh, in Clifton Stadium. Uh, first time they'd won beaten Clifton since 1948. So, mm -hmm. so I mean, I was kind of weaned on Garfield High School football. And one day I was coming back from a game, I covered the, the Patriots up in uh, Foxborough, just driving with nothing else to think about. It's kind of, my mind got around to that game, and then I realized it's the 75th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be a great idea to do a story. And then the more I dug into this, the more I uncovered, the more, uh, the more facets of this game uh, came to me. And I, I'm actually thinking of probably turning this into a book if I can. It's, it's an amazing tale of uh, a slice of pre-World War II life. Uh, lost innocence, uh, and uh, just just kind of an historical look at at what what high school football meant to the community mm -hmm. before World War II. I mean, they had nineteen thousand people for a game at Foley Field against Bloomfield. The winner was going to probably win the state championship. Right. So it's just it's just amazing when you think about all these kids were were the sons of immigrants. Their fa their parents had come over mostly from Eastern Europe and Italy, leaving their parents behind. And these were their kids. They mm -hmm. grew up in the Depression. They didn't have much. And then they ended up going down to Miami High School, Miami, Florida, and beating the best team in the South. So it's an incredible story. Mm -hmm. um, and with it being the 75th anniversary of the game, has there been any long-lasting impact that the national uh, team had on the city? Well, I think everybody in Garfield remembers it. I, a, a friend of mine lives a couple of blocks away here in Parsippany, and it's the same thing. Uh, you know Benny Babula. You know mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. It's like I said, you, we've all been weaned on this. So um, it's prob probably tales of the of, of of the game are probably kind of petering out in Garfield. But if yeah. you're in my generation, you know about it. And even even if you're not a football fan, you probably know about it because it was one of the biggest events that ever took place in the city of Garfield. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, what living players have you been able to get in contact with? There's only two left, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Walter Young is 92. He was All-State, honorable mention. He was an end, played a very uh, very important role in the game, caught a couple of passes, made some defensive plays. Uh, I spoke to him the, week after th the day after Thanksgiving. The, the great thing about Walter is that he made the, the key block on the second Garfield touchdown, which was a naked, rever a naked reverse, which was put in by Art Argauer, a, a real a kind of a Bill Walsh of his day, very cerebral kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Always, ha always, always had a great game plan ready. Uh, Johnny Grembowitz scored on a naked reverse, and it was Walter's job to block Davy Eldridge, who was the fastest player on the Miami team and their offensive star. He would score a 78-yard touchdown in the game, and for 75 years he lived in fear that he clipped them that he made an illegal block. In fact, after the play was over and Garfield scores, he was looking around for a penalty flag. Mm -hmm. So, And he's always thought that somehow he got away with the clip. Well, I was able to show him the YouTube tape uh, 
of the game and uh, and show him that he actually made a good block. It's the first time he ever saw it. Oh. And we ran over that play. I mean, imagine living with this for 75 yeah. years and then being able to see the play, and and now his conscience is clear. Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Finally. But it, it, was, it was really cool. Uh, he's a very sharp guy. He still runs his own business and drives to Connecticut Wow. Uh, a few times a week, back and forth to Connecticut. He's living in Waldwick now. Uh, Leonard Macaluso is the other living member of the team, but I haven't had a chance to speak to him. Uh, I, I'm going to do it in the next coming days before I finish this writing writing the story for the Daily News. Uh -huh. So um, I'm anxious to see what, what he remembers about the game. Uh, and unfortunately, most of the guys on the team have passed away. Uh, I, I only wish that it was 20 years earlier when they were mostly all around and I could talk to him about it. Yeah. So I know my dad was at the number eight school gym, and the legend is that when Babula kicked the winning field goal, everybody jumped up and down at the same time, created a crack in the foundation. <laughs> now, I went to number eight school the other day. Pete DeFranco's the principal. And uh, we were looking around the gym. All we saw was some cracked paint and some no nothing else. But that's the legend. And it was what we were told by Coach John Hollis. If you if you're from Garfield, you remember Coach Hollis. Uh, that's what he always told us that uh, that when Babula kicked the winning field goal, everybody jumped up at the same time, landed, and cracked the, the foundation of the bridge. That's fantastic. So there you go. Um, any major mega stories that you want to share from that? Oh, there's so many stories. I I, I could. Here are the names that are connected with the game. Okay. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, mm -hmm. uh, Mayor LaGuardia, Governor Lehman of New York, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, Grantland Rice, the great sports writer, uh, John F. Kennedy, and, and eventually John F. Kennedy and then Bill Clinton would be the last contemporary mm -hmm. the latest guy because because it just has it just goes in so many directions. I spoke about Davy Eldridge, who was Monk, um, uh, Miami's best player. And again, uh, let's just go back. Auergauer also worked uh, worked some strategy on defense uh, to combat Eldridge. Now, mm -hmm. Miami worked out of a sh what was called then the short punt formation. It was it was kind of innovated by, by Michigan, and it was kind of like the, today's pistol. Just think of that. Okay. So it was based. It, it was good for teams that were fast and they had a lot of deception. Now Garfield played a six-man line. The entire se the entire season. Now, what Argauer did was he moved his all-state uh, middle guard Johnny Grembowitz off the line as part, kind of a linebacker to spy on Eldridge, and he made a couple of tackle, uh, touchdown-saving tackles during the game, and kind of just limited. Now, Eldridge scored in a 78-yard touchdown, got around right end, and but that's pro that, but they pretty much contained them because of the way they right. they schemed the defense. Now, Eldridge uh, goes on to star at uh, Georgia Tech and then goes into the Navy. Uh, he fights in Saipan and uh, comes out and finishes his college career like many guys of the era did at, at, at Miami, University mm -hmm. of Miami. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into politics. He's a state senator in Florida for uh, throughout the 50s. In 1962, he runs for Congress and he's up against Dante Fassel uh, in the Democratic primary. Now, Eldridge was a segregationist, nothing unusual at the time, mm -hmm. especially in the South <laughs> and uh, in Florida. Uh, and he was running against Fassell, who had the backing of President Kennedy. Well, he gets trounced two to one in the Democratic primary. And after that night, they ask him, they ask Eldridge if it's the worst defeat he's ever experienced. And he says, no. On Christmas night in 1939, 
and he mentioned Benny Babula kicked mm -hmm. a winning field goal to beat us, and that still hurts the most out of anything. Wow. I've, so I, there are stories like that. Uh, another one, John Grembowitz, who was a terrific player. Again, I, uh, also, he was moved in a backfield. He scored in the naked reverse, but he was an all-state guard. Wally Tabaka was one of the was one of the running backs, and to get them ready for the game, they scrimmaged uh, Lodi at Passaic Stadium. Now, Bill Piella, famous coach of Lodi, uh, told his uh, told his team they were going to get back in uniform and get Garfield ready for the game. And they said, "We're going to get Babula." And he told them, "You keep your hands off that guy. We're on the same team right now. We're just getting them ready." Right. Well, Babula was fine, but Wally Tabaka got hurt in the game uh -huh. <laughs> in the scrimmage and hurt his knee. Uh, so, what Argauer does is uh, move Grembowitz off the line into the backfield, and he played a key role in the backfield in that game, scoring on the naked reverse and also uh, running the naked reverse to set up. No one knows this, but he set up the winning field goal by Babula, which was 22 yards. Uh -huh. Benny Babula's only field goal of his career. Oh, <laughs> he, he had kicked some extra points, but had never att even attempted a field goal before. Now. Everybody thinks it's a drop kick. It was not. It was from placement. John Olofsky held it. Mm -hmm. But uh, Grembowitz, uh, as I said, terrific player, made All-State. There were two All-State players, he and Babula. Grembowitz goes on to William & Mary, where he plays on the 1942 team, which was ranked 14th in the country, right. and had lost only to North Carolina pre-flight, which was full of college studs. These were guys that had played college ball and were now going into the Navy, and this is while they were getting their training for the Navy, so it was called pre-flight, but they played football, and right. they were beating everybody up. Mm -hmm. Only lost like 14, I think, nothing to William & Mary. They, they said William & Mary gave them the toughest game of anybody that year. Well, Grembowitz completes his college career, comes out, and now he is going to uh, try to become a, 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 a Army Air Corps pilot. And he is killed in a mid-air collision in Kansas as an air cadet mm -hmm. with, another, with another cadet. They, uh, and his body is flown back to Garfield. And the funeral uh, is at St. Stan's Church. Mm -hmm. uh, he lived around the corner from St. Stan's. It's, uh, as everybody knows, or not everybody knows, but Garfield is divided back then, and <clears throat> to a certain extent now, is divided between Polish and Italian sections. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to call it Guinea Heights and Pollock Valley, mm -hmm. and nobody really got upset about that. Yep. There was yep. politics was, in Garfield, yeah. but there was no correctness in Garfield, yeah. and nobody, nobody, yep. nobody, <laughs> nobody thought anything of it. Well, anyway, uh, Father Vatula, uh, who I remember from when I was growing up, and had sent Christmas blessings down the day of the game, says the Mass. The, the, this, the church is packed to the rafters, and the, uh, the casket is placed on a caisson, and uh, flag draped and taken to St. Michael's Cemetery in Lodi. Mm -hmm. And then it passes through the streets of Garfield down some of the same streets that the caravan that took the team to Penn Station for the game passed by. As it goes Palisade Avenue, now Garfield's, uh, Garfield didn't have a high school then, so the upperclassmen went to number eight school. The lowerclassmen went to number nine school. Anyway, they let out classes. And the entire student body of Garfield High School lined Palisade Avenue as the uh, casket came up Palisade Avenue. If you think back, it, it's this is one of the moments. I mean, it must have been one of the most memorable moments, so obviously a somber moment, but probably one of the most memorable moments in the history of Garfield. Mm -hmm. And this is why I want to do this story, because probably no one even knows about that. Right. And if you just could picture that in your mind... Uh, it was almost kind of the the, the exuberance the, uh, of the 39 team and how it brought just 
tremendous joy to Garfield, and then flash to this moment where Grembowitz's casket is being mm-hmm. taken to the cemetery, and just with with just people that are beside themselves in grief. Uh, those are a couple of things. They, they'd lost one other guy to the war. Uh, Stanley Saganic was killed um, on a PT boat uh, in New Guinea uh, in the Navy, was awarded the Silver, uh, Silver Star posthumously. Now, his uncle, his, I mean, he is the uncle of Jim Saganic, who is now a teacher at the high school. In fact, I broke him in when he was uh, his first class. <laughs> and, uh, but he was an all-state lineman for Garfield in the 60s. And Stanley Saganic was his uncle, was the other, he was a sophomore on that 1939 team and was the other guy lost in the war. But they all fought in the war. They, everybody, almost everyone on that team went into service. So it was kind of a loss of innocence. That 1939 game was probably one of the last things that they could really enjoy for mm. what you might call a childhood. Right. So, I mean, they're, they're just so many, that, that's the kind of thing I was talking about. There's so much, so much stuff surrounding this game. Yeah. Uh, that uh, it, it, to, to look back on it, to uncover this thing, has really been a lot of fun for me. Yeah, and especially absolutely. since I grew up with this game. I mean, this, this might be one of the reasons I'm a sports writer, actually. Because, uh-huh. you know, my love of Garfield football. Yeah. And then taking it to other things. So, that's pretty much it. Have you been in contact with anyone in the, from the Miami team? No, not yet. Uh, but if I do this book, I plan to go down there and do a lot of research. I've looked up the Miami News articles on online. They're available on Google News, so I've I've done research that way. But I've actually haven't talked to anyone on the Miami t- Miami team. Now, the, <laughs> here's another thing. Their coach uh, was Jesse Yarborough. He was from Georgia, went to Clemson. And it was kind of a tough guy, and uh, Argauer wanted to uh, use a white ball for the game. They never played at night. He put the kibosh on that. And then also didn't want to allow them to practice at night. Argauer wanted to practice at night, and uh, they eventually did, but he was trying to block that. Mm-hmm. Yarbrough also, according to reports in the Passaic Carroll News, was refusing to send his team on the field hours before the game unless the high school, and you might assume him, he got a cut of the gate, which was going to go entirely toward the infantile paralysis fund. Yeah. So it, there's, that's another interesting yeah. story that I'd like to look into. I haven't had a chance to really dig into that because I've been so much into the Garfield end of things. But there, there are things on their end that are probably uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting as well. Oh, well, that's great. Um, and uh, final question. In your opinion, in the current climate, do you think this kind of event can ever happen again? No. No. No way. It's... I mean, high school football is still big, but you cannot, you can't go back to that time and recreate it now. It was just a bunch of kids. I mean, these, these, as I said, they were all immigrant kids. They were kids of the Depression in one town. Uh, To go down there and to beat a team of this magnitude in this kind of game, I don't think you could see again. I mean, all the the current high school teams are football factories. They recruit kids. They're Mm -hmm. Don Bosco, St. Joe's, all the New Jersey teams. And it's kind of that way around the... Around the around the country, if it's uh, if it's a public public school, it's it they draw from a bigger. It's a big regional schools. So that's mm-hmm. what you'll see in Texas and everything. But for a small town like Garfield, which actually wasn't the first choice in this game, by the way, it was the third choice. Uh, to be able to uh, to get over all the conquer all these obstacles and to get down, actually play in the game and win the game, you'll never see this type of thing happen again. Mm-hmm. And. Um... Any idea on when this article is going to be posted and yes. any details on uh, 
for people outside the area. Yes, it will be up uh, on well, it will be up on Saturday. It will be in the newspaper in the Sunday edition before Christmas. Uh, I don't know what the date is. I guess Christmas is the twenty fifth, so I think the twentieth, December twentieth, is a Sunday. It will be in the paper. Now our online story will go up sometime on Saturday, the nineteenth, uh, and it's going to be a two page spread. Uh, there'll be some pictures, and uh, you know my challenge will be to uh, to cram as much of this information into it because I don't think I can fully do it in, yeah. in, in, a, in a two page spread. But I'll try to get the flavor of the game in there and. Uh, uh, for me, it's a labor of love. It's it's something that I grew up with, and I and it's kind of like I I just want people to uh, kind of look at this and understand this this moment in time. Mm-hmm. So the twenty it's the twenty first Sunday is the twenty first. Okay, the twenty first. So then Saturday would be the twentieth when it would go on, when the online version would go on, and the uh, website is uh, nydailynews.com. Excellent. All right, Hank. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You've shown me some really good articles, and I hope that we were able to help you out, too. Yeah, very, very much so. Thanks. Uh, it was good meeting you, and thank Blake for me, too. I will, and I'm sure he'll hear it. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Before we get to my new interview with Hank, um, I have to talk about this. It was an amazing night at the Royal Manor on Midland Avenue in Garfield. It was on May 10th. I know it has been a few weeks since I was able to sit down and do this. It's, just, it's been a busy month, um, and we were taking some time off from the show. So here we are to talk about it now. I, I have to admit, I'm not a reunion person, and I'll mention this with Hank in the interview. So coming to an event like this for me back in my hometown under the Boilermaker banner was a bit surreal and a bit crazy. And it was cool, but I don't know. I, I just I was scared going in and um, worried that I just wasn't going to fit in with the people and I wasn't going to be the person everyone remembered. But then you walk in and you sit down and you get your program and your booster book and everything else. And then you realize... All you are is growing up. It's been eight years since I've seen the majority of these people. And everyone was so happy to see each other. I, I haven't been hugged that much since my graduation day by a bunch of men that I spent a lot of time with. Um, I, I'll give shout-outs to people like Craig and Julian, Jose Sosa, and Karen Brianti, and, of course, Joe Zippeth, who was sitting with me in South. That was my date for the evening because Mandy couldn't come out. And um, it was great. It was great to hang out with people. But for me, the moment that was surreal, and I'll, and then after I discuss this, I'll throw it to my interview with Hank. We were sitting there, and it was nearing the end of the night. We were the last team to go up. It was the 1999 BPSL champions. They were the last team to go up. Um, and they were doing the 1990 Boys Coast Country team. And we have the programs in front of us telling us the order of events. And I look at Craig, and I go and say, hey, dude, I think we're next. 
And then suddenly we all kind of got quiet. And we all got nervous. And it was like, oh shit, we have to go up there now. <laughs> this is no longer just us hanging out, sitting at the tables, talking and reminiscing. It's now time to be in front of the spotlight, which a lot of us haven't done in a very, very long time. So then they said the 1999 team, and they introduced this name individually. We went up and we shook hands and we hugged our old coaches. Almost our entire coaching staff was there. And we all sat down and it was awesome. It was almost like time kind of stood still and it became about us for the first time in a long, long time. And then behind us, Coach Mucha, Steve Mucha, Hall of Famer himself, started talking about us. It wasn't about him and it was about us as a team and how we worked together and how we were undefeated in the division and how we were not supposed to be champions and we became divisional champions. Um, Craig brought up a moment when he actually ran through one of our opponent's banners because they decided to bring a, I think it was Pompton Lakes, decided to bring a banner to our home field and he ran through it because he just wanted to say, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you coming to our field and trying to stand out like that? But here Coach Mucha talks so highly of us. And then after the ceremony, we all got together for pictures. And we took a lot of pictures. A lot of pictures. And I went up to Coach Mucha and he was so happy to see me. Because he, at the time, and this, I had to explain this to people that don't get it. Being a part of this team is like a family. And we were together for four years. A lot of us were together from freshman year on. And some of them were before that. But for me, I joined this team on a whim in 1996 and then it kind of became family and we all became really tight we trained together we trained in the summer together we did all this stuff together and then we all broke apart and most of us don't even keep in touch with each other on facebook we don't because we have lives and we have different lives and i'm here in milwaukee i'm not in garfield anymore but when coach came up to me it was like seeing a father figure again and it was really cool he gave me a big hug and he asked about my life and wanted to know how everything was going and I explained I was married and I had a kid and he asked me if he was going to play football and I said he's going to play soccer and, and everything made sense and that's I guess that's what a reunion is supposed to feel like where you're happy to be a part of something special and that is what the 1999 team means to me it's something special and I know a lot of people are crazy. You know, they come crazy because it's just a football team. It's just a high school. It's just a hometown. It's a small hometown. It's it's more than that. It's more than that. And that's going to be me throwing it to my interview with Hank as we talked about the meaning of Garfield and the meaning of the city and his book and why the book is important and why even if you're not from our hometown, you should pick it up and get it in November when it comes out. And I'll have a link up on our website you to pick it up and it'll be in the show notes here it's important so without further ado thank you for all for listening to me talk about my experiences let's throw it over to the historian himself hank gola and talking about his book city of champions fresh cut grass I'm back in my helmet cleats and shoulder pads 
Standing in the huddle Listening to the call Fans going crazy for The boys of fall They didn't let just anybody In that club Took every ounce of heart And sweat and blood Get the way those game day jerseys down the hall The kings of the school, man, where the boys are fall Well, it's turn and face the stars and stripes It's fighting back them butterflies It's calling in the air, all right Yes, sir, we want the ball And it's knocking heads and talking trash It's slinging You mess with one man, you got a song. The boys are falling. All right, I am back here now with Hank Gola on the line. Um, welcome back to the show, Hank. Thank you, Blake. Um, when last you were on the show, Sal actually sat down with you, and you actually said in the interview that you were looking and hoping to write a book. And now we are here three years later, and I have a little sheet on my computer desk here saying the book's coming out, <laughs> which is really, really cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's going to be out in November. Uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, on those websites for pre-order. Uh, I'm still actually working on finishing up odds and ends, like footnotes and stuff like that. So I've been busy with that. I feel like I'm back in college doing term papers, if it's an opposite. Um, so that's, that's that's not the fun part of the job, but the fun part was writing it. Uh, and uh, it's uh, I'm really happy with the way it came out, and, and so are some of the people who have seen it. Um, it's uh, it's not just a look at the game, but it's a look at the time uh, between the Depression and the war and what these kids were doing back then. Uh, and I think uh, you probably have a lot of listeners from Garfield. Anybody from Garfield would would, would really enjoy this because it's a great look at the town and, and, and the history of it and the foundation that these guys laid for all the teams that came after them. Um, so I recommend it. <laughs> of I'll, course, I would recommend it. You're kind of uh, biased. Yeah, it'll be, it'll, it'll be out in, in November uh, and, uh, and maybe, maybe sooner. But our, 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 our target date is November 20th. Yeah, I, I will say the name of the book is City of Champions, How a Gritty New Jersey Milltown Shocked High School Football by Capturing the 1939 National Championship. I said that on the show last week, and wow, mm-hmm. that's a hell of a title. <laughs> really long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we weren't sure what we are going to do with the title. I know the subtitle's a little long, but it does explain things. Uh, we were thinking of, well, I had a couple. We were thinking of just Boilermakers. We were thinking of Over the Rainbow because it occurred in 1939, and that's the same year that Wizard of Oz came out. I like that, I like that kids, actually. Obviously, this was their rainbow. And then my, my wife said uh, something about the sign for, what, are you going to put the sign in that's the City of Champions? Of course, you grow, you, when you drive into Garfield, it's the sign City of Champions. And it's the city of champions because, well, partly because of this team. It was also because of Tippy Larkin and the holy name later Garfield Cadets uh, all won national championships, and Tippy Larkin won a world welterweight belt. But I said, city of champions, you know, that's not a bad title for the book. So I called the publisher, and he really liked it. And so there it is, uh, city of champions. 
Yeah, definitely it means a lot to me because, again, as someone who's on a championship team in Garfield, this name City of Champions means a whole lot. I actually have, um, when I graduated, I put together a frame and I made sure the sign City of Champions was in my frame because it, it meant a lot to me. <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me ask you something. Sure. I'm going to interview for a sec. Uh, you know, you played on the 1999 team. Right. Uh did you guys know the le- le- the legend of Benny Babula and that team? Were you aware of that team? Well, I well with us. Well, for me, it's a little different. And I'll explain my history with the team. My grandfather was actually in Garfield High School when that team happened. <laughs> ah. And his best friend was on the team. So it was. And who big... was his best friend? Oh, I can't That's think... right. You got you got me the tape for that. But who who you remember who his best I friend? I just remember his name off the top of my head at the moment. I just I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Yeah. But he's the one who got yeah, me the yeah. tape. He's the one who got me the tape, the nineteen thirty nine national championship tape, which is on YouTube for those yeah. who want to see it. I put it up on YouTube a while back when I was moving stuff right. over to digital. And that's how we found each other, actually. That's how we found each other. Right, right. And but I'm was, wondering, when you were, in, 1990, in 1999, when you were playing football for Garfield, were you aware at that point that, that, that it actually would have been 60 years later, yes, right? it would have been 60 years 30, later. 90, so, and yeah. And I'll tell you the truth. Uh, my team, my, my team really didn't know much about it, unless it was up for me, because what happened with me was, I was running the school website at the time, and I look at the calendar, <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, I'll make some. I'll do something special with this, and I made it known that it was the 60th anniversary yeah. of the team, and that became a thing. And that's why it was so exciting that we got to do a championship that year for us, because I made sure everyone knew. Yeah, that knew. was really cool. Wow, 60 years later, you got another championship. That's that's great. It is surreal when you think about it from that perspective, especially because Coach Mucha mm-hmm. was on the last team that won a championship in the 80s. So <laughs> it's really weird yeah. how everything tied together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, you look. Look, I know the saying is once a boilermaker, always a boilermaker. Right. And I, I didn't play football; I did play baseball for Garfield, and it's true. Uh, one of the things that my public, I had my publisher out at the at the Hall of Fame dinner, uh, where you were, uh, and he was just amazed. He came from a he came from a town in Connecticut, and he went to a I think a, a more of a prep school, but he was just amazed that, that that one town could have so much community spirit, and still remember it's athletes like that because uh, there were over what 300 people in it was the a room, full house uh, yeah that mm-hmm. night and he was really impressed and you know obviously he knows this, he now knows the story of the team that i've been uh, writing about uh and it's just garfield's a very unique community and it still is always was uh and i try that's one of the things i do try to bring out in the book i i think even then it was unique among north jersey communities in the way uh, people came together the fact that it was immigrants, uh, immigrants' kids were winning this championship. They were the son, they were the sons of immigrants, uh, and you know everybody. Can, look, if you're from Garfield, uh, everybody comes together for whatever your differences are. Uh, and and in, in that case, it was kids from the kids, the Italian kids and the Polish kids and the Eastern mm-hmm. European kids all came together to win a championship. And I can, I think that spirit kind of has just follows through. Uh, year after year. Well, it was funny. I, I had in my notes, it actually said, once a Boilermaker, always a Boilermaker, in my notes. Because out <laughs> here, when I was explaining, I'm going out to my hometown for this Hall of Fame, it was kind of confusion. Like, what's the big deal? Like, why do why do you go do this? I'm like, because it feels right. It's, it's hard to explain yeah. to people what that sentiment means. Because you're right. It was a community. It still was when I was growing up. It's the whole, it's yeah. a small town thing. Like, I was able to walk everywhere all the time. You can't do that anymore in a big city like I live in now. You know? Yeah. 
it's weird how that works. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you go back to Garfield today, it, it, it still has that feel. I know it's changed, it's, but, but there's enough of it still there that, uh, you know, it feels like home. And my mom still is a guy. I, I, I could go home and, and go to the house I grew up in, and uh, I'm back in the 60s and the 70s. <laughs> you know, she's 95, it still lives in the same house. So for me, I, it, it's even more uh, immediate where I could go back and, and, and feel Garfield. But, but it doesn't really take that. It just takes a walk around town, and, and you know, you, you get the feeling pretty quickly. So my, grandma, my grandma still lives in her house in Garfield, too. So mm-hmm. it all ties together. And she was actually a part of the 100th anniversary celebration last year. She was in, yeah, in the parade. Yeah, that was fantastic. Right, right. Yeah, how was that experience? Because I saw pictures and I saw video, but it had to be surreal to be involved in that. Uh, yeah, I, again, uh, 100 years. And I remember the 50-year celebration because I'm that old. And it was the 50-year jubilee, and I was in school, grammar school then. And uh, the town was, you know, well, they put out a special uh, uh special booklet and uh and the entire town got behind that i remember there's a big parade and floats and it was very exciting back then so for uh, it, it look to, to actually remember the 50 years and, and realize that another 50 years has passed makes me feel <laughs> rather old but uh it's still a great thing for the for this for the city and i hope that kids that grow up there now can get a feeling for for the for the history of the town it's true um speaking of history we mentioned it a couple of times here. Obviously, I came out for the Hall of Fame, and I was trying to explain to people why this is a big deal. Because there are all a lot of people listening to this show. I have a pretty international audience, actually, believe it or not. Yeah. Can you educate the audience on the importance and the history of our Hall of Fame in Garfield High School? Well, sure. I was actually on the original Hall of Fame uh, back in the late 70s. I forgot exactly when. I was working at the Pacific Herald News back then, and... Uh, they were putting together uh, the Frank Dawson now runs it. Well, his father was running it back then. He organized the original uh, committee. And uh, since I was just out of high school, maybe four or five years, I guess, uh, working at the Herald News, uh, he asked me to be on it. And it was an honor then. And we were able to uh, uh, identify the, the kind of the pantheon, the Mount Rushmore of, of, Af- of Garfield athletes at the time. Of course, Benny Papula was one of those, John Hollis. Uh, and uh, it just it just grew from there. Yeah, every year you just added to it, and then they started adding teams. And I kind of left when I when I got the job in New York, New York Coast. I uh, I couldn't put the time into the, the committee that I, uh, I I thought it really deserved because of all the time I was working in New York. And uh, so I resigned. But uh, just recently, as I started working on the book, I was asked to come back on. So um, I'm actually the only member of the the only original member of the Hall of Fame uh, now. Uh, back for a second time it's like, like scarface you know wow. you keep pulling you back in so <laughs> i'm on it i'm on it again but there are uh, butch white track who actually is older than me actually played butch was a senior on the baseball team and a great player and a hall of fame member uh he was a great catcher i was a sophomore when he was a senior uh he had come on uh, uh after i left he, he years after that and i played ball with him at garfield and uh so so i'm saying i think he is the oldest the Longest standing member now, uh, although I'm back on that after me, he's the longest standing member. And uh, so it's, it's a good cross-section of, of the year, graduation years, uh, so that uh, kind of all the teams are covered. And, for instance, Richie Rosillo went in this year. Uh, he was the second baseman, I believe, on a 65 or 66 team. And I remember I, that would have been, I was 12 years old in 66, and 
I was playing Little League for Rotary and Garfield National, and they had a, a Garfield High School had a great team that year, Saganic and Rosilla and Rusnak. There was a, some really good players on that team, and I I went to every game just to watch the high school kids play. And and since I was a second baseman, uh, and Richie Rosilla was the second baseman on the Garfield High team, uh, and so he was Richie Rosilla was the guy I wanted to be. Richie Rosilla, <laughs> I wanted to grow up and be Richie. And I actually <laughs> told him that I actually saw him on the on the dais uh, at at the dinner, and I told him that story. And I said, you know, that you're it's funny, but you were my idol when I was a twelve year old, and I ended up playing second base for the, for the high school. Not as good as he did, I must say, but I I did play uh, play a little bit. I, I, at least I got out on the field. <laughs> yeah, it's about it's about right. You know what? I I feel the same way with my football team because I got um, trumped from my spot a couple of times by Lewis Castillo, who went on to be an NFL player. So that's kind oh, of sure, yeah. important there, you know. Um, yeah. As for the Hall of Fame night, it was a, it was a great night. It was emotional. It was a fun experience. I will comment because we talked about it in the email, and I got to bring it up on here. I did not know the second verse of our alma mater until you sang it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I didn't know the second verse. <laughs> I cracked How up. How did you like my rendition, by the way? I, I, we enjoyed it. At our table, we enjoyed it. But admittedly, uh, <laughs> like, we were sitting there because we remember the first verse from our graduation. It's been a long time, but we've remembered it. Yeah. And then we got to the second verse. Yeah. We all looked at, there's the second verse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though we also have to leave thee and wander far from sight of you, our hearts will ever, ever praise thee. Our love for Garfield still rings true. That's the second verse. It's 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 very true though. And you say it that way. You say it plain old straight up. Yeah. It's very true. And when you realize that that alma mater extended all the way back to the beginning of Garfield High School. You know, Garfield High School started in nineteen nineteen, so in two in one year it will be celebrating its one hundredth anniversary. Wow. The first Garfield High School football team was nineteen twenty two. And I don't have the exact scores, but their first two games they were outscored like uh, I think it was 129 to nothing, something like that. Oh Don't quote God. me exactly. Oh and uh, in 1924, they ended up winning the uh, winning the Bergen County League two years later uh, with some of the real legends in Garfield sports: John Hollis, Stanley Piella, John Miklas. Um, and that was one of the teams that we honored uh, because when I came back on. Uh, I, I realized that there were some teams that had fallen through the cracks in the 1924 team, which gave Garfield its first championship of any kind in any sport I thought uh, should have been honored. So uh, we did that. But as for the alma mater, yeah, I, it, the alma mater goes all the way back to those years, and then it was first written, I believe, in 1919. So when you, when you consider that, when you're singing the alma mater, you're actually singing with everyone uh, kind of in spirit, uh, with anyone who, with every all the Boilermakers throughout throughout history, that is pretty cool. When you say it that way, I never thought about it from that perspective. That was never explained to us in high school. It was kind of just this old school song, and now that you're explaining it, yeah. it actually works better in my mind. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you have a bond with everyone that went through Garfield because through the alma mater. I think it was important to sing because uh, the reason I did I wasn't I wasn't scheduled to sing that. <laughs> but I said we were we discussed it on the committee that I think there was supposed to be a high school student sing the alma mater and well, you know and I love to sing the alma mater and it wasn't being sung so when when I got up there to introduce the uh, the teams that I was inducting I said to Frank I said Frank Dawson I said so are we singing the alma mater and he said kind of shrugged his shoulders and said okay I'm singing the alma mater <laughs> so I, asked, I asked everybody to get up and. 
I, I just burst into the song, into song, and uh, I hope I did a good job. I think the room. I think I think most most people were singing in the room, and I know you're not alone about the second verse because everybody was about to sit down after the first verse, and I said, "Oh no, <laughs> we got the second verse." <laughs> it and was, I it began was that. It was definitely yeah. made. It made you know what kind of world you're in when that kind of happens. It's like, oh, we have it on modern. We have to do. We have to do this. It's a big deal here. Yeah. Now you said you were no. Talking. It's like singing the national. It's like singing the national anthem, right? Very true. Before a game, you got to you, you got to sing the alma mater before a hall of fame induction. Very true. Um, like you said, you so, inducted. But it's it's one of the cool things about Garfield. Yeah, you inducted four different teams this year. According to, I have the program in front of me. Remind me what you did. There was 24, 30, 28, and 31 basketball. So Right. Yeah, it was the 24 football team. It was the 1930 football team, right. which was Art Argauer's first oh. football team. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Uh, and uh, they were the – in 1928, Garfield uh, was known as the scoreless wonders. And uh, they didn't go the entire season without scoring. I think they scored in the last game. But it was it, they were pretty pathetic. <laughs> the Bergen record dubbed, dubbed them the scoreless wonders. Wow. And then the next year they had a kind of a yeah I think they won a few games. But uh, then they decided they were they were going to uh, fire the coaching staff as often happens. And Art Argauer was brought in. He had been a great athlete at Clifton High School and was just starting his co- coaching career. Uh, and uh, got the job. And in 1930 uh, he turns that team around immediately. And not only that, then he takes over the basketball team, and uh, they that that team was also inducted, the 30-31 basketball team. Uh, they won 16 straight games at one point and ended up uh, losing only – actually, they were undefeated for the regular season, and then they lost in the state tournament and then were invited to the prestigious Eastern States uh, tournament in Glens Falls, New York. It brought – it brought together some of the best teams in the, on the East Coast, and they actually went to the finals of that before losing to the Hun School from Princeton. And of course, that was a prep school, so they were using kids that were, you know, you know redshirt basically, kids that were older and were spending a time, spending a year there between their senior year and college. So that was quite an accomplishment. The other team was the uh, 28 basketball team, yes. uh, which uh, which is the, still the only team to play to reach the uh, state finals in basketball. Uh, they did lose, but they got there. And uh, then there was the, yeah, that's it. That was with the four teams. Yes. So uh, two, two, two Argauer coach and then two other, uh, a football and a basketball team. I don't know, you probably too young to remember uh, Coach John Hollis, but when I was going to school, he was a legend, and he played on that 24 team and then went to Syracuse University where he was an All-American in water polo. Uh, of all things, wow. and was just a really tough guy. I mean, and he, he just <laughs> he would he would he would the, the, when you were in high school and at Garfield and you were in gym class, everyone could not wait to the last. If you had Hollis, you could not wait to the last gym class of the year because he would bring out a big rope. And you know, I'm not going to offend anybody because everybody knows this if you're from Garfield. Two sections of town: Guinea Heights and Pollock Valley. I, I know right? exactly what you mean. <laughs> Guinea Heights, where the Italians lived, and Pollock Valley, where the Polish lived. I was I was from the valley. Anyway, he'd pull out the big rope and say, "Okay, Guineas on this side, Pollocks over here," and it would be about fifty-fifty, <laughs> and you'd have this huge tug of war between That's the Italians and the Poles. And uh, he, he did stuff like that. He, he was just a, a, a total character. Uh, I mean, 
you ask any of the old timers, and I guess I consider myself an old timer to give you some Hollis stories, and everybody's got one. So he played on that 24 team, and then he was an assistant coach on the 39 team, football team that I'm, I'm writing about. So it's characters like that who really made Garfield what it is. Yeah, for as a student, I know the gymnasium named after him. Am I correct? That's right. The giant John Hollis, and the field, the, the the football field is is Art Argauer Field. Right. Um, and I think the banner, the 39 banner, is hanging in the gymnasium. It is. Did you know also that, that Garfield wasn't always the Boilermakers? No, I did not know that. Garfield was known as the Comets until 1933. Seriously? When Argauer brought the team together, and um, he didn't like it because Comets was Hackensack. Right. And it, it, yeah. So he didn't really like it. it, was, it was, they were the Comets because they wore gold uniforms. Okay. Really cool-looking gold uniforms. That's why they call them the Comets. Uh, and when he brought the team together, uh, one of the kids was wearing – he just put Boilermakers on his sweatshirt, or sweatpants. He was a, For some reason, he was a Purdue fan. He was a Boilermakers fan. Sure enough. And Art Gower saw Boilermakers, and he said, oh, Boilermakers. And he said, okay, from here, henceforth, uh, this team is going to be called the Boilermakers. And that's why Garfield and, – and, of course, it fit with the industrial uh, – uh, flavor of the town. Obviously, there were a lot of woolen mills right. then, and uh, so that's how it stuck. And uh, it gradually over, over the next decade, they were they were still being called the Comets until eh, right around the '40s. Then everybody started calling them the Boilermakers, and from then and right. from then to now, it's all well, it's Boilermakers. So it's it could be it's you know when you say once a Boilermaker, always a Boilermaker. It's also, it's kind of once a Comet, always a Boilermaker. <laughs> <laughs> if you include those old guys, that's pretty funny. I never knew that story. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I'm I'm all about the history. Hey, that's like, that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do, right? Yeah. So there's, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to have to push my book again, but uh, there's a lot of stuff like that in the book about Garfield history, that are neat little stories like that. So. Hey, you know what? You're totally. Do you have a book? You're totally allowed to push it anytime you want to. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. I will say I will I will actually I'm looking at the clock and I'm actually. We're going to say, let's wrap things up here. We'll pick it up later in the year when we're closer to book time. If you want to, again, one more good. time, promote and plug everybody and tell where they can pre-order the book real fast for you, City of Champions, How a Gritty New Jersey Milltown Shocked High School Football by Capturing 1939 National Championship. Hank, tell them where to find it. Com, BarnesandNoble.com, and it's already been discounted, which means it's actually selling. <laughs> nice. So that's good news. Very nice. And also, <laughs> I'm going to tell people right now, if you go to theblakeandstyleshow.com, I have a link right there for you to go and click on that, and you can pre-order the book. That's fantastic. Thanks for doing that. So, and again, uh, if you're from Garfield, I think you'll enjoy it. Yes, and uh, hopefully people outside of Garfield will pick it up and learn history. Cause I, I, I think history is actually important no matter where you're from. Absolutely, and this has a lot in it. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Hank, for taking time out today. This is a, this is actually a lot of fun. Okay. I had a lot of fun, too. Thanks for having me on, Blake. Anytime. I'll talk to you soon. Definitely. So as we wrap up here, I'm actually just going to put this song play out some more. This is Kenny Ted and Boy of the Fall. I had a different song plan for the intro, but this, this song is just fitting. Um, you heard the beginning of it before the Hank Ole's second interview. And so I'll just keep playing it over the outro here, and I'll just play it out. Um, thank you all for listening. This is actually a pretty cool show for me to put together. It's it's rare I get to sit by myself and do a show like this and have things to talk about and um, to have something I experienced that was a big deal to me and I really wanted to share it since I have the microphone and I like to talk about stuff that's important to me. 
um, next week, another show, just me, but I have a guest host. We'll be back to Manelli from Broadway World, and we'll be talking about the Tony Awards, and I'm looking forward to you guys hearing that. It's a really good show. We went over an hour, and it's really fun because we talk about everything from the plays to the musicals. We start talking about touring and, and things like that and what that means to how awards should be won. It's actually really cool. So um, come back next week to enjoy that show. I, it's going to be a really a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to this show today. This meant a lot to me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until um, next week, when I am by myself again with Matt Tamanelli, I'm Blake, and you've been listening to The Blake and Sal Show. Have a good day, everybody.
was a freshman and a very good running back, but he was raw. But we were lucky to have Juice and Ramadani who were unselfish. These seniors were unselfish. They took him under their wing and they helped him develop into the player that he had become in the future. And that's a testament to those gentlemen. Heidi talked about Hurricane Floyd. Nothing stopped this team. This team was ready to play. We missed one day of practice during a hurricane. Everybody was there. Coach Dawson did the best thing for us, called me up, told me, he said, kid, you need a couple extra days, right? We're moving that game to Monday. We're going to play it at the school. Okay, we'll get, the, we'll get the kids out early from school to watch the game. We'll have a hell of a crowd. Coach did that for us. It was such a crazy pregame. We're getting ready to address the team because we're playing for Safe County Tech, which is a huge amount of PowerPoints. Next thing I know, the referee is knocking on the door. Coach, you got to get outside. No pregame speech. We go out, we beat them 19-14. We continue to roll from there. We clinched the division with a, with a win over Manchester. And we had 7-0 Ramapo at the half. And these guys still talk about it today in Sochi. It's a hell 